The following content is explicit. It's Thursday, April 12th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Yesterday, Mark Zuckerberg testified before Congress, as we covered on this show. And here's how the CBS Evening News covered that. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg apologized to the House today for the privacy scandal and said government regulation of social media is inevitable. 58 seconds in the newscast, not a package from a reporter, just the anchor reading into this clip. Zuckerberg also told Congress he is among the 87 million Facebook users whose personal information was exposed. Uh, Was your data included in the data sold to the malicious third parties? Your personal data? Yes. It was. Are you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy? Congresswoman, we have made and are continuing to make changes to reduce the amount of data. Are you willing to change your business model in the interest of protecting individual privacy? Congresswoman, I'm not sure what that means. After which, anchor Jeff Glor noted that Facebook's stock went up. Now, CBS News isn't the shaper of opinion that it once was in the days of Cronkite or Murrow or rather. In fact, as a focus group, I guess, a very, a very cheap focus group, I asked three very plugged in Slate News staffers, people who cover news all the time, who's Jeff Glor? One thought she could place the name, but she was wrong. Okay, but that's not Glora's fault. It's not CBS's fault. And in their coverage here, CBS did actually comparatively well. Jake Tapper of CNN had an hour, not a half hour, for his show last night. He did not cover the Zuckerberg testimony. NBC did have a nice package about it. Good job. ABC played the same exchange you heard me play that CBS aired, except ABC left off the part where Representative Anna Eshoo asked Zuckerberg about changing his business model. I absolutely do not blame the networks in this case. Because yesterday, the lead story had to be, as it was everywhere, Trump threatens Syria. This could mean war. Then... Paul Ryan announces he's leaving, and then, in all the newscasts, an update on the Michael Cohen raid. Those really are pressing news stories. I'm not saying push any of them further down in the newscast. But the point is, we have no hope of paying attention to any other societal issue other than the ones that are driven by Trump. And all of those, Syria, of course, driven by Trump, Michael Cohen, and so is the Paul Ryan announcement. Why'd he quit? To spend more time with his family. Because he can't stand his job and because the Republicans are going to lose the midterms. He thinks, I think he thinks. The news just can't cover it all. You want to know why? Because there's no such thing as news anymore. News is a subgenre. Trump is now news. The Daily, the podcast The Daily, did a really good job of playing the parts of yesterday's hearing that were substantive. I do fault myself a little bit because I covered it on the show and I watched all of the hearing. I didn't watch every single minute, but I did watch at least some of every single congressman or congresswoman asking a question and some of the answer that uh, Zuckerberg gave. I watched hours of hearings and I synthesized it all and reported back to you in the form of uh, essentially an essay. But you know, you would probably come away from that 
reflecting my opinion, which was uh, this hearing didn't do much. But, you know, if you listen to the Daily's coverage, you could come away with the opinion, well, these are a series of pointed questions. And maybe if enough people heard that, as they would in a more rational world, not rational enough to prevent Facebook from doing its excess, but rational enough that we paid attention to it, maybe something could change. Maybe people's minds would change. But really, there is no chance. In this day and age, with this president... Uh, Just think of the demands on our attention, the abounding distractions. There is no hope in concentrating on the reformation of a service that might ultimately disrupt, if not destroy, everything. But you know what? That might ultimately happen. It won't be a missile tomorrow. It won't be a fired special counsel the next day. So Facebook wins. It created so much of a distraction that we can't even concentrate on it. It is only in a pre-Facebook world that we had a chance to guard against Facebook. On the show today, I spiel about a Trump tweet about something he says he never said. But first, facts are important no matter where they come from. I was interested in the work being done by the conservative magazine, The Weekly Standard, their fact-checking column. And I can report they are doing a fine job. They really are. I was interested in their methodology and their selection of which facts to check. So I checked in with their fact-checker. We're all entitled to our own opinions, but not our own facts. Daniel Patrick Moynihan said it or something like it. And it's such a useful quote because it's one of those quotes that's honored in the breach. It always gets brought up because people don't seem to adhere to the basic premise that we are not all entitled to our own facts. To this end, many news organizations have begun fact-checking sites. There's PolitiFact and FactCheck, and Snopes is always a good one. But I recently noticed that the Weekly Standard, the conservative periodical, has been doing this as well, and how they do it and why they do it is of interest to me. But before I start with the why and the how, let's talk to the who. Holmes Libran is the guy who does the fact-checking for the Weekly Standard. Hello, Holmes. How are you? Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good. Besides this, what else do you do? What's your job? So my job really is fact checker at the Weekly Standard. So I run the column, but I also fact check the magazine. So oh, really? I'm just all in it on, on the fact checking side. Okay. I will read as of our speaking. Here are some of the facts that you've checked. Fact check. Is Elon Musk buying Facebook so he could delete it? It's a joke, people. Fact check. Did GOP congressman make a racist jab at Puerto Rico's congresswoman? No. Fact check. Is there literally no evidence Russia was behind the skirple poisoning? There is definitely evidence. Fact check. Did an astronaut's DNA change in space so it no longer matched his twins? Answer sensationalism and a weak grasp of genetics combined to make misleading news stories. Yes, they do. So I got a couple questions. What are the kind of facts that rise to the attention of you and the Weekly Standard? What are you, what facts are you looking to check? Well, so we partner with Facebook. So that's uh, some of the places that we get our fact checks of just places, you know, people are marking certain articles up on Facebook that they're like, eh, I don't know if I believe that. And then Twitter is always a great source. Uh, Donald Trump's Twitter feed is always a fun source for that as well. 
anything that congressmen, women are saying that might just sound a little off or maybe, you know, oh, that's surprising that it's even true. So really just all over wherever we can find them. Right. So what's so interesting to me is that all these other, I guess, mainstream or more established fact check sites that I cited, they're often checking the same facts. And it's often something President Trump says. The facts that you guys check and that you specifically check are a little different and off the beaten path. And I was wondering if they were more the kind of facts that would kind of flit across the consciousness of a Weekly Standard reader as opposed to someone like me who dabbles in the Weekly Standard but, you know, reads the Washington Post and the New York Times is my first read. I don't know. I'm, I, I think it's interesting because m- most of what I try to do is not just cover what other fact checkers are covering because, like you said, a lot of times it's, it's pretty similar. We're all pulling up the same information. I mean, most of what I'm trying to do is find things that are interesting and that I have some relationship with like certain audiences that really might actually believe something that's just bogus. So maybe in that way, we we cover something that is more in line with our audience as opposed to PolitiFact and what they cover and Snopes and what they cover, although sometimes those do overlap. Do you ever, I haven't come across this, but I haven't read every fact you check. Do you ever disagree from a conclusion that uh, PolitiFact or the uh, Annenberg Center or the Washington Post fact checker fact checks? I don't think that's happened yet, but we're always open to have it happen, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and all of yeah, all those, you, yeah, right, exactly, and and a lot of that would come down to not really the facts, but maybe the context that they're brought in. I, I don't really notice a lot of facts themselves being argued against. It's more of just like you know how they're put into play in the conversation. Yeah, just to give the listeners some examples of the kind of facts that I didn't even know these things were being said, but apparently you or your readers did fact check. Are Seattle police seizing guns without warrants? Like, I didn't come across a meme or a claim or anything like that that said they were. But apparently, some people in your orbited universe did. And so you helpfully said, no, that's not going on at all. And uh, fact check, did Trump fire a Muslim judge for trying to impose Sharia? Uh, Maybe I came across a version of the story, but the answer is no, 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 no. (laughs) Do any of your readers get mad at the facts you check or the conclusions you come to? Yes, they do all the time. I, I think that fact checking is one of those things that you're never going to please everyone. Yeah. Uh, and that's just part of the part of the nature of the game. But the one you mentioned about Seattle seizing the guns, that blew up on Facebook. That got a lot of shares, a lot of comments, a lot of likes or reactions. And it came from several news sources. And basically what they did is they took this actual story and they just, you know, mutated it and made yeah. it their own. And the the website that we fact-checked, Neon Nettle or something that it's called, they got mad at us for fact-checking them. And, and they were saying, well, we were just writing a story that someone else had written. And, uh, okay, fine. It's still wrong. Sorry about that. But, yeah, I, I get some weird emails. Yeah, it's either a fact or not a fact. Here are some other things. Maybe this is unfair, but from my understanding of the kind of facts that were passed around in right-wing circles, you fact-checked the scripted CNN town hall question. And I think quite properly, you laid it out 
that the question was compiled from a TV interview quote and something the student submitted on CNN. You re- I really think you gave your readers the correct sense of how that wasn't a setup job as was being you know, claimed by uh, some conservative talk show hosts. And you even checked was an aide to a Florida state representative fired for pushing the Parkland crisis actors conspiracy theory. Of course, that was true. Again, maybe this is me being unfair and maybe I have a caricature of the right, but very often you seem to be looking at ideas that are passed around on the right and saying, no, that is not true. I wonder if that's true and I wonder why that is. Well, I I think part of that is just where my scope is at the Weekly Standard and the fact that PolitiFact and Washington Post fact checkers, they get accused of liberal bias all the time. Mm -hmm. At the Weekly Standard, we might get accused of that. Uh, Bill Crystal has been accused of that as of late. But really, we have uh, kind of an authority to talk about these things and debunk really crazy far-right claims. I see that kind of as as my duty, but I don't make a special effort for that. I think that that just kind of happens naturally sometimes. This is, well, tell me how much you identify with this statement, but I was extra impressed because it seems to me that what the Weekly Standard is saying is that we can win this argument without deception. We can win this argument on a basis of agreed upon facts. We could win this argument with argument and not with lies. And to me, that's at least an impressive stance to try to take. Exactly. Yeah. Our, our, our editor-in-chief, Steve Hayes, likes to say there's no conservative facts. There's no liberal facts. They're just facts. And so that's really what we're, what we're aiming for and, and what we're you know, living by. What do you think of some of the other fact check sites, uh, conceit of assigning a pants on fire rating or a number of Pinocchios? You don't have a gimmick like that. Why not? I mean, maybe it's just because we're not creative, but uh, <laughs> well, no. it's you. It's you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'd like to think like so. I mean, I have I have pretty specific opinions about that. I I think that it's a good gimmick. It's an interesting thing. It's a way to pull readers in, and it's a fun way to tackle. Uh, Politifact really uses the pants on fire to tackle just ridiculous news, and there's a lot of that out there. But one of the things that I like to do with the rating system is really just lay out for the reader what's going on. And not necessarily give them a no way this is you know or or this is kind of true, kind of not, but really just before I do any of that, just walk them through all of the facts that way I'm trying to eliminate their potential bias toward me uh, and toward my column, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to present the facts as they come. I just think that like some of the things that where you get this Pinocchio thing, I think readers see that and then they stop reading. But I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm 24. What do I know? So I'm I'm going with what we're doing, and it's so far it's working really well. Right. So you are 24, which leads me to my next question. People of my generation look at the state of social media and what gets uh, put into play, the lack of gatekeepers, and we despair and we remember an earlier time. You don't. I mean. Judging by right. demographics, you might not even be a millennial. You might be Generation Z. So, Yeah, this, I think I'm on the tail end. Yeah. So the question is, is there some sort of hearkening to a better way or is this just more like uh, this, is the, this is the oxygen you breathe? You might as well get used to it. How do you look at the state of uh, falsity that pretty much characterizes all the media you've ever known? I don't know how it's going to come back, but I think that there's a longing for that to come back. I think millennials have seen just 
the degradation of news and and just the mixture of news and opinion and, and all these sorts of things. And I think we really want gatekeepers. I think that's why you see a lot of them migrating off of Facebook and why you see fact-checking become so popular because it really is a way of gatekeeping. Right now, I think we're creating our own gatekeepers. We follow certain people. We trust certain magazines over others. So I think we're kind of internally doing that. But it would be nice to see an external version of that. And I think fact-checking is one of those. Do you think that this project you're undertaking is a specific reflection of the Trump era? I mean, Trump's not the major, vast majority of what you do is not fact-checking Trump. Yet I tend to think without Trump and his influence on the discourse, there might not even be a need for this. Right. I, I don't know. I, I think factcheck.org has been around for something like 20 years. PolitiFact's been around for 10. I do think that it bolstered kind of the viewership of those fact checks, if that makes sense. I mean, the New York Times saw a spike in their subscriptions during the Trump era, you know, the beginning of it. So I think that it's just more eyes are coming to the news in general. And so that's bolstering fact checking. And Trump does give a lot of material. Yeah. That's, that's not questioned. Holmes Librand writes the fact-checking column for the Weekly Standard. Thanks for talking to me, Holmes. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel. Donald Trump is not backtracking on his vow to attack Syria. How do we know about this? Well, plans were intercepted via back channels. We used assets in the field. They are, of course, steeped in the ways of espionage. I am, of course, kidding. The dude tweeted it out. Russia vows, I'm not going to do the accent, to shoot down any and all missiles fired at Syria. He tweeted, get ready, Russia, because they will be coming nice and new and smart. You shouldn't be partners with a gas-killing animal who kills his people and enjoys it. Now, when he said gas-killing animal for a second, I thought he was talking about methanotrophs, you know, the bacteria who consume methane. It's maybe one engineering solution to global warming. But no, that is, that is not what he was talking about. He was talking about Assad. And obviously, there was something in Trump's original tweet that convinced him he was in need of clarification because today he wrote, never said when an attack on Syria would take place could be very soon. Or not at all. In any event, the United States, under my administration, has done a great job of ridding the region of ISIS. Where is our thank you, America? This tweet saying, I never said when an attack on Syria would take place. This is in a long tradition of Trump tweets where he talks about things he never said. So remember the rule of thumb. When Trump says everybody says, he means almost nobody says. And when he says nobody knew, he means almost everybody knew. Like nobody knew healthcare reform would be hard. Yeah, almost everyone knew that. So what about never said? Most of the time, what he means is, yeah, he said it. Some examples. Here's a Trump tweet. I never said Russia did not meddle in the election. I said it may be Russia or China or any other country or group. It may be a 400-pound genius sitting in bed and playing with his computer. The Russian hoax was that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. It never did. However, in a May 2017 interview with Lester Holt, Trump said this about Russia interference. This Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made-up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election that they should have won. And the reason they should have won... He later said about 
election meddling after he met with Vladimir Putin at an international summit. Every time he sees me, he says, I didn't do that. And I really believe that when he tells me that he means it. And in fact, let's remember the PolitiFact 2017 lie of the year is that the Russian election interference is a made-up story. It was Trump who was calling it a made-up story. Likewise, just a couple of weeks ago, he tweeted, never said give teachers guns, like was stated on fake news at CNN and at NBC. But here's what he did say. If you had a teacher who was adept at firearms, they could very well end the attack very quickly. He did say give teachers guns. Maybe he didn't say give all teachers guns. CNN and NBC... Be they fake news or real news, never said that Trump said he said give all teachers guns, but he did say give teachers guns. Of course he said it. That's his policy. He even signed it into law. And then there was this other tweet during the campaign. The at New York Times states today that DJT, which is not the coolest DJ, but the least cool president, believes more countries should acquire nuclear weapons. How dishonest they are. I never said this. Let us play the clip. From a GOP debate moderated by Anderson Cooper. Now, wouldn't you rather, in a certain sense, have Japan have nuclear weapons when North Korea has nuclear weapons? And they do have them. They absolutely have them. They can't, they have no carrier system yet, but they will very soon. Wouldn't you rather have Japan, perhaps, they're over there, they're very close, they're very fearful of North Korea, and we're supposed to protect. So you're saying you don't want more nuclear weapons? So this brings us back to Syria and the claim that he, he never said when he would attack. He needs to be clear about this because he did promise a strike. Of course he promised a strike because he struck for the last gas attack. What are you going to do? Change your mind? You've established precedent. You're hemmed in. Otherwise, you'll be weak, weak. So he wants us all to know that he never said when. He gave us the what, but not the when. Clearly, he is sensitive to falling into the trap of announcing to the enemy your plans, which he constantly criticized Barack Obama for doing. Because if you announce to the enemy, your plans. I mean, think about the consequences. There was that time when a foolish American president publicly proclaimed his intention to withdraw from a theater and that emboldened the enemy to strike out at innocents in an unconscionable way. I'm talking, of course, about last week when Trump said he was going to withdraw from Syria and right after that, Assad gassed his own people. That really does demonstrate the pitfalls of declaring your intention beforehand. But in this case, he's talking about time frame. It's going to be now. No, it might be now. Could be then. Could be now. Good to be unpredictable. So that's what seems to be going on. The tweet storms and tweet clarifications of the man in the world with the most awesome power at his fingertips. But I have one other theory. I think there might be another force at play. Are you ready? The parade. If he launches an attack now... How will he be successfully able to plan the military parade in Washington, D.C.? Will Macron still come? Will Kellyanne wear that cute patriotic outfit? Nobody is talking about that. Nobody. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Pierre Bienname. He never said that an avocado-based brownie that his girlfriend made was anything other than brown. He never said it was taste chocolatey. A brownie only needs to be brown. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, never said that she liked the TV show Small Wonder. She just constantly hums the theme song and can recount the plot of every episode. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, never said the G was silent. 
But one day, people said, hey, lick tie. And he reflectively said hi, because he's a nice guy from the Midwest. What are you going to do? The die was cast. The gist. We never said to Holmes Librand, hey, if you want a good label for something that you find to be true, you could label it, no shit, Sherlock. And if it's false, you could label it, keep digging, Watson, and give a number of shovels. Because, you know, your name's Holmes. See what fits in? We never said that, but I do think the implication was clear. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.